good morning. Good morning again. Good morning online. Thank you for uh, being with us this morning. <clears throat> we had our movie night last night. It was a very uh, powerful message. Uh, um, uh, anyway, there's a lot to be shared there. If you haven't seen it, uh, God with Us is put on by Karis Bible College uh, and Andrew Wolfman Ministries. <clears throat> it's a theatrical uh, production uh, with great talent, great music, uh, uh, and a powerful story, powerful message. And so, uh, God's with us, and I uh, uh, wish they would come out with a soundtrack with that. Hopefully they will, because uh, the, the songs, uh, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're I don't know you have the words to say for it, but they're just, uh, uh, they're just uh, very powerful. Uh, scripture, the Word of God is full in these songs, and it's kind of a, a story through, uh, through biblical history of how God is with us, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, powerful message of the cross and redemption, and uh, there's just so much to say about it. Well, with that being said, we're back to our normal schedules. Uh, we have our Sunday night Bible study tonight at six o'clock uh, with a better way to pray, and we will resume our Bible study on spirit, soul, and body in Pasadena at seven thirty next week. We had we were off last week because of last night's movie night, and then we have our regular Bible classes online at your own pace. At uh, lighthouse is So, uh, anyway, uh, everything's back to normal. And with that being said, we're going to play into the message this morning. Um, uh, sorry, I'm going to be trying to switch gears in my mind here. Well, I think we got my, the Apple TV fixed uh, last night or yesterday. So, I think we'll have the words on the screen, uh, preferably. Uh, we'll have that. But we're in, I think we're in the seventh week here on uh, being established in righteousness. And again, the Bible. All of our teachings are actually on our website, but they're also uh, on our, this specific teaching is also on our Bible classes as well. And anyone who signs up have, has access to these classes. Um, and so we're talking about uh, being established in righteousness, not just righteousness, even though we've got to talk about that as well. But uh, my heart is that we're establishing it, we're grounding it. We, not only that we fully understand everything, but we understand enough where we have a good foundation and, 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 and a good uh, uh, understanding of it. Uh, you know, uh, when, you, when Jesus taught on the parable of the sower, there was four different kinds of soil. All four kinds of soil heard the word of God. It says specifically, especially in Matthew 13's version, all four heard the word of God. But only the good soil heard it and understood it. Uh, so it's important that we not only hear the word, because faith comes by hearing the word, but we need to understand the word of God. We get confused, and, uh, and we're not, we don't have a good foundation when the trials of life come, when the enemy comes, when false doctrine comes, when other things come that might try to trip us up and, and, and get us shipwreck our faith, because the just, the righteous live by his faith. We live our whole life by faith. Everything we do, every aspect of our lives is living by trusting God, trusting Christ, trusting who we are in Christ. And, and, and uh, we can't put our trust in ourselves. We can't put our trust in people. I'm not saying we don't trust people, we don't trust our spouse, but it's, I'm not talk, we don't rely, we're not codependent on them. We're not relying on them. People will fail us. We will fail people. We don't intend to all the time, and so some people do, but uh, that's, I know that's not always our hearts. But we need to trust God. It's dangerous to put our faith in, in people in that way. Does that make sense? 
because we trust God, we can trust God in people. But we, we can't put all of our, our trust in people. That is dangerous. Uh, as Lawson Purdue will say from, uh, in regard to his church, he says, if you come looking for, uh, I forget exactly how he says it, but if you come looking for problems in our church, you're going to find it. There's not, you're not going to find a perfect church anymore than you're going to find a perfect people. What we can find, a perfect Jesus. Uh, but he goes, if you're look, looking for problems in the church, you're going to find it. If that's what you're looking for, you're going to find something wrong in any church, in any person. But if you're looking for what's good, you're also going to find that too. And uh, even the churches I don't agree with, sometimes I don't even agree with half the message. If they're teaching the Word of God, and even if they're using, at least if they're using Scripture, I can find a nugget because there's a nugget in the Word of God. I'm not looking for what's wrong, I'm looking for what's right. Sometimes it's harder. <laughs> in some cases, I understand that. Um, but anyway, I'm getting on a whole different message. My heart is that we have become established in righteousness. So we've been setting the foundation to that. I got kind of stuck in this uh, fourth session of our, our I've broken this up into six main categories. I kind of got stuck in this one. I'm hoping to wrap this up and transition to our, our fifth category today. But we've been talking about beguilement, uh, subtle beguilement. We've been talking about how the same way that e the serpent, the enemy, was to beguile Eve in the garden. So Paul says he fears with a godly jealousy that the enemy would try to beguile our minds for the simplicity that's in Christ. I'm not going to rehash all that again. You can actually watch, listen to the last two teachings on that where you can't spend two weeks on that. I want to move forward with that uh, as we, uh, this morning. So go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. screen, but uh, let me try something here. There we go. And I went to the New King James, but I think I want to actually toggle to the King James this morning for this particular reference. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 it will be our text to start out with. And I love this. It's, uh, I'll, I'll make some comments in there. It says, As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. These two verses, which is actually one sentence, because there's a colon after verse 6, so it's all one thought. It's just loaded. This whole context is, or I'm not going to spend time teaching the whole context. But I'm going to, I just want to make some comments here. The same way we receive Jesus Christ is the same way that we walk in Him. That is profound. We're talking about righteousness. We're talking about being established in righteousness. What's righteousness? Righteousness, I believe, and we've been studying this over the last few weeks, is being right standing with God, being in right relationship with God because of what Jesus did for us at the cross. He who knew no sin became sin that we could become 
the righteousness of God. That word become, if I'm, when I'm quoting from 2 Corinthians 5.21, it means to be born of. It mean, it, it, if you study the word become out, it, it's where you get the word gene, and when you study that out, it means to be born of. We are born of the righteousness of God. That's who we are. That's our new nature. All things became, all things passed away, all things became new. That's who we are. We didn't receive Jesus Christ because we had it all together. We received Jesus Christ because we heard the gospel of what he did. We believed it, we received it, and we became born again. We're going to spend a little bit of time with that this morning. But the same way we receive Christ, we walk in him, being rooted and built up where? In him. We're not being rooted up and built up in a particular church, our pastor, our minister, our, our family, whatnot. I'm not against anything. We're being grounded in Him. We're being established in Him. And we're being established in the faith. I just I started off talking about faith a little bit this morning. And, uh, and we're being rooted in grounded faith. The just will live by His faith. If our faith is not established in Christ, if our foundation is not established in Christ, we're going to have problems in our walk. We're going to... We're going to be unstable. And I'm not just saying we're always going to be into sin. That can be part of the problem. But we can be depressed. We can be discouraged. We can, we can uh, be insecure. We can, uh, uh, I mean, when I think of insecure, I always think of King Saul. King Saul was always wallowing in fear. He took out that, that jealousy and that, 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 that insecurity on David. Uh, and, and there's some other examples throughout Scripture. But we need to be secure in who we are in Christ. We need to have faith in Christ. That when we're facing a trial or we need to, to make a decision, that we have our faith in Christ. And there's so much that, 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 that should be said here. And as you've been taught, we need to be taught this. We, it, doesn't, it doesn't come through osmosis. It doesn't just come through uh, uh, association. But we need to be taught. We need to be taught the grace of God. We need to be taught the scriptures. We need to be taught. We need to be disciples. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. We need to teach. We need to be set under good teaching and good discipleship so we can grow up. And I, when I see, I saw this this morning, abounding there. There's growth here. There's maturity here. There's increase here. I'm not just talking about finances, but there's, just, there's growth. It's healthy. It's abounding. And therein with thanksgiving. Not complaining, not murmuring, complaining. It's not, oh me, oh me, oh me. No, there's thanksgiving. Thank God you saved me by your grace. And I'm going to walk this walk with you with thanksgiving even when I'm going through the tough times I'm going through. That makes sense. And anyway, there's an attitude here. But the attitude of thanksgiving, I believe, comes from being built up and established in him. And, and so, uh, anyway, I just know that, that has revolutionized my life. Go with me real quick to Galatians chapter 3. I think we went here a little bit last week towards the end. But Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. I kind of expounded a little bit on this fact, on this talk about how did we receive Christ. Because if we're going to walk in, walk in Him the same way we received Him, we need to know how did we receive Him. And, these are not all the scriptures. I'm just going to highlight a couple here. But it says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I'll come back to that a little bit later in our teaching. You that, you, bewitch you, that ye should, you know what, let me uh, talk back to the New King James. 
Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are now being made perfect by the flesh? Well, in this, in this section of my teaching, we're talking about, we're still ending the subject of the subtle beguilement. Uh, how the enemy, had, the same way that the enemy beguiled or bewitched Eve in the garden, is the same way that the enemy wants to bewitch us, or beguile us, that we won't obey the truth. In other words, he's saying here, this is only I want to learn from you, did you receive the Spirit... In other words, did you become born again by the works of the law, by your performance, or by the hearing of faith? We didn't get our life together and then we were now candidates to be saved. No, we heard the word of God, we believed it, Christ came in us and began to transform our lives. That makes sense? We changed from the inside out like a fruit tree, I used that analogy before. And we're not changed from the outside in like a Christmas tree. We don't change because we change our performance, our behavior. You don't change the tree by changing the fruit. You change the tree by changing the root. If you graft a, a branch of an apple tree into the, 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 the uh, um, you do it properly to an orange tree, that branch will produce oranges. Why? The, the seed, the nature is in the roots. It's in the seed. Uh, the, 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 the fruit only illustrates is only the byproduct of what the tree really is. If we're going to do good works, we're not going to do good works by the flesh. We're going to do good works by the Spirit. We're going to do good works. We're not sons of the bondwoman, Hagar, which represents the law. We are servants of the free woman. The grace of God teaches us to deny in godliness. We need to be taught this. And then when I, I think I got a little ahead of myself. We're not, we, let me just say this. A lot of times where I debate with some Christian circles, is we, and, but let me just make this clear. We are all about holiness. We are all about godliness. We are all about living righteously. The where we defer sometimes with some people is how that happens. It's the how. We don't do it without Christ. We do it because of who we are in Christ. It's Christ in us who changes us. We don't change without Christ. I don't know about you. We can't change without Christ. We can't change the flesh without Christ. Yes, we want to change our behaviors. Yes, we want to change the way we think. Yes, the way we want to change how we live. And, and, and other things. But we don't do it in, our, in the flesh. We don't do it by the works of the law. We do it by the hearing of faith. We do it by putting our trust in Jesus. Paul, I keep going back to this. Let me toggle here real quick. To, to, I mean, this is Galatians 3, 1. Actually, let me just scroll up. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me, and we talked a whole week on that, and gave himself for me. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about righteousness. There's a lot of righteous talk right here if you've studied it out. But we, we, we have to live our lives under an understanding it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ. And we live it by faith in the Son of God. We don't live it, we don't do it by our performance outside of Christ. We do it by our performance because we're in Christ. Because we're the same way we receive Him, the same way that we walk in Him. There's a walk, there's a participation, yes. You know, let me go let me go here real quick. To, I didn't plan on it, but let's just go with the Spirit's going this morning. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, and I think verse 12 is where I want to go. Therefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, and that word obey again, second time we come across that, not as in my presence only, but now much more, and I'm in Philippians chapter 2, 12, in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out, there's that word work again, or actually it was walk before, walk, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now I just want to make a couple points here real quick. I'm not really going to spend a lot of time on the first on the first part of uh, verse 12, but it's this phrase: "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." And most people stop right there. They put a period where some of you have a semicolon or a comma. It's not a period, okay? It's not a colon. For it is God who works in both in you in, in you both the will to do. It's God, and I'm crucified with Christ. The life I live, I live by the Son of God, who he, Christ is in me. Uh, Paul says in Gal uh, Gal uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, we're one flesh with him. Just as my wife and I were one flesh, we are one flesh with him. Christ is in me, and I'm him. I'm my beloved, and he is mine. We read about that a few weeks ago. But also notice this, and I was reading uh, a couple weeks ago on... Uh, uh, Andrew's commentary on this verse. And one thing that he, he says here, he says, work out your own salvation. He doesn't say work for your own salvation. He did the work. He gave us salvation. Now with him in us, we need to work that out. We need to, uh, just like if we're abiding in the vine, when we can't bear fruit without abiding in the vine, but if we're abiding in the vine, by abiding in him who is the vine, we work out what he is working in us. That makes sense. We're not working out absent of Christ. We're working out because his life, just like when we're abiding in the, in the, in the vine, the sap, the life, the juice of that tree is flowing through the, the branches into our lives as fruit. We walk in the Spirit and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, uh, temperance. I didn't hit all nine, but I just said, uh, it's, it's, it's a fruit. But you're not going to have fruit if the root is messed up. If we're not establishing who we are in Christ, if we're not establishing righteousness, but instead we're established in what we're doing, and I'm not saying we do wrong, and I'm not saying we don't participate. 
But I'm saying we participate because from the foundation, from the foundation of knowing who we are in Christ. Being rooted, being abiding by walking with Him. His life, not our lives, begins to flow through us and righteously, godly. And, and, and it's not just living righteously, godly, and morally, even though I'm all about that, but it's also doing good. It's also making a difference. It's also, um, we are the kingdom of God. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are the children of God. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. God has filled these jars with his glory. We are to make a difference. And that includes living righteously. You know how I many? We can't make a difference if we're not living morally. We can't make a difference if we're not living godly. We can't make a difference if we're not living righteously. We can't make a difference if we can't get along with one another. Jesus said, this, By this the world will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. And Jesus also prayed in John chapter 17. He says, He prayed to the Father, Father, I pray that they would be one, talking about us, would be one. Just as he and the Father were one, so that the world would know that you sent me. Our greatest evangelism to the world is how we treat one another. And all the law and the prophets hinge on loving God and loving our neighbor. All the law. And, and Paul talks about this in Romans and other parts of Scripture, that when we love one another, we fulfill the law. So there are, there is a, let me go back real quick, there is a work of the law. But we don't do it, enough. We don't, it's not self-righteousness, it's the righteousness of God that's doing this. It's God, going back to where I just was, it's God who is at work in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. I can't do, I can't do good things without his nature. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. This fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. We don't usually highlight that. We always go into the love, joy, peace. And they always hit, we always go to the first ones. We don't get to the other ones. I want to spend some time, actually, hopefully this year, on the fruit of the Spirit more. I, I don't know about you, but I want the nature of God flowing through my life and in and, and, and every area of my life. And, uh, am I making sense? Um, let me go to one more scripture here real quick. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Again, I'm, I'm highlighting, trying to highlight, that how we receive Christ. Well, how do we receive Christ? Because however we receive Christ, that's the same way that we walk in Him. The same way that we receive Christ is the same way we live this thing called Christianity. How we live every day, Christ-like, in a relationship with God, is, is the same way that we receive Him. We, in other words, we don't receive Christ one way, we live another. It's the same, it's, it, you know, praise God for our, our marriage. Praise God for our, uh, the thing that God's done in the last 20 years, and we're celebrating 20 years this year. But you know what, in, as, as precious as that is, we can, never, we can never leave our first love. We can never leave, I mean, those dating years. Those days where the, the love bug kind of bit, you know, and you know, you're just kind of lost in, in that love and that romance. It's important in, in a marriage to, to not lose that, to the longevity of a good relationship. Same thing with God. 
Praise God for the day where we were born again and we were just on cloud nine and because we're born again. We can't lose that. How do we lose that? We, we stop abiding in him. We stop walking in him. The same way we receive Christ is the same way that we walk in him. That makes sense? Any you know the relationships that we don't have anymore, not because of something went wrong, but because sometimes we just disconnected. Not because of anything unfair, not because of any problem. We just stop connecting in, in the relationship. The friendship, the relationship just kind of fizzled out. And, uh, and that will happen in any relationship. You stop connecting. You stop, you know, it just, it's just going to fizzle out. And, uh, and so we don't want our relationship with God to fizzle out because we don't have a relationship. Anyway, uh, Romans chapter nine, 10, verses 9 and 10. And most people relate this to the sinner's prayer. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead... You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto what? Righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's a lot here, but we usually associate this with the sinner's prayer. And this is how we became born again. We didn't become born again. There's nowhere in here that we became born again because we got our life together on our own without Christ. No, we... We confess with our mouth that the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will, you will be, not could be or should be, you will be saved. It's an absolute. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. How do we become righteousness? We believe it in our heart. We didn't do anything to earn it. It's a gift of righteousness. You can't merit it. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You know, this will work not just to receive Christ for salvation, your sins be forgiven, be born again, but we also know that this word saved and the word salvation, I have it highlighted in pink. You might not be able to see, able to see that online. But it's, it's a word, the root word saved is sozo. And it means wholeness. It means prosperity. It means healing. It means, so if you need healing, you just need to believe in your heart, uh, believe, uh, believe in your heart and confess it with your mouth. I believe in my heart that Christ has died for my, uh, uh, he, he was, uh, excuse me, he was wounded for my, uh, I can't even say it right, now, by his stripes I'm healed. I believe in my heart that by his stripes I'm healed. I confess that. I'm not just trying to quote scripture as a formula. I, just, I believe it. I convince that by his stripes I'm healed. I've been convinced that my God shall meet, to meet my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I believe that God will restore what the enemy has destroyed. I will believe that God will give me wisdom when I ask for it. He says he will give it to me abundantly and liberally. I mean, you see how this works? The same way we receive Christ is the same way we live out a Christian life. It's the same formula. I don't like formulas because we're not just a formula. But if you want a formula, this is it. Believe the word of God in your heart and confess it. It, it's that simple. We make it complicated. But re, getting someone born again is not complicated. We make it very simple. Believe, we share the gospel. We tell them to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth and they're saved. The same way we get healed, the same way we get provision, the same way we get anything that is for our salvation because of our righteousness, we do it the same way. That makes sense. But we need to believe in our heart. This believing in the heart is what I'm trying to get at. That is a, we're established in it. 
We're believing it. And we just confess it. And we're going to spend a little more time on this confession in my next session. And we're going to be talking about witnesses. And we're going to be talking about witnessing in just a moment. Okay? Am I making sense? Spent a lot more time on that than I thought I was going to. Um, go with me to, real quick to Galatians 5.4. says, so for again, I'm going back to what I'm talking about. I'm trying to end this section of our teaching about this beguilement. Uh, this beguilement is actually putting our, our, our faith in the flesh, our own works, uh, versus Christ. So if you have become estranged from Christ, and he's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. This letter to Galatia is to the church in Galatia. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. You have been estranged from Christ, you who have attempted to be justified, and that word justified is also the same word for righteousness. You have been attempted to be justified or declared righteous by the law. You have fallen from grace. <clears throat> you know, um, I think it's another translation, maybe I'm, uh, uh, I, I need to look that up again. But it says, uh, Christ becomes of no effect to you. You who attempt to be justified by the law. It might be the, uh, the, the King James that says it that way. Uh, but you have, he says, you have become estranged from, from Christ. You who attempt. I like how he says it. You who attempt to be justified by the law. Because talking with me real quick. We're going to come back here. I'm not done with this. Uh, so keep your finger where we're at. But in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, this is where I'm going to uh, very, very soon here. I'll spend more time in here. But I want to I wanna, I wanna connect this so you see what I'm talking about. So keep your finger where we were in Galatians. We're going to go right back there. But uh, Romans 3, 20 says, Therefore, by the deed of the law, no flesh can be justified in his sight, for by the laws and all of sin. I want to focus on this first part. By the deeds of the law, no fl no flesh can be justified. Scripture, and I can use other scriptures, but I'm using this in my main one, that we cannot become justified. We do not become righteous because of our obedience of uh, the law. It says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh can be justified. But here he says, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You can't be justified by the law. But sometimes in, in our own religious thinking... We try to. That makes sense? And he says, when that is your attitude, when that is your attempt, you have fallen from grace. You are frustrating his grace. Christ becomes of no effect to you. And actually, I just want to, uh, I should have re-looked at, re at this. It's been a while since I've taught on this. Excuse me. It's regular King James. What's that? Regular King James. King James, okay. So I'm going to toggle real quick. Yeah, that's what I want. So I want to, same scripture, Galatians 5, 4. I just went to the King James versus New King James. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. And I like how the New King James says that part of the verse, you who attempt to be justified by the law. Um, 
you are falling from grace. So Christ becomes, I don't want Christ to become no effect to me. I don't want Christ, Christ, and just because, you know, let me just say this, you can't fall from grace if you weren't already in grace. That makes sense? Grace is defined by, and defined as unmerited favor. You can't merit grace, otherwise it's not grace. And so you can't, so you can't be justified by the law and call it grace, because that's not grace. You can't do it. Grace is getting something you didn't deserve. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve Christ. We don't deserve righteousness. It was a gift. It wasn't because we deserved it. It was because he gave it to us. That makes sense? Now, because he gave it to us, and I get this from a Spider-Man movie, with great power comes great responsibility. Okay? You're not going to get a scripture that says that. That's just, that's just Spider-Man talking. Okay? But with great power comes great. This gift of righteousness is powerful. This gift of salvation is powerful. Now that we've been saved by grace, we need to be responsible and use this respectively. That makes sense. We need to, but anyway, I, I want to switch gears where I'm sorry, I, I feel like I'm stumbling in my words right now. I'm trying to teach on right here in this section of our study about the son of beguilement. That if we, the enemy wants us to think that we can somehow earn our righteousness, attempt to be justified by the keeping of the law. Sorry, going back to the New King James. Okay? But that's not true. God will mess us up. Go with me real quick to 1 Corinthians 1. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. There's that phrase again, of Christ being of no effect. I don't want Christ in me that's been given to me by grace to be of no effect. In other words, Christ can be in you. You can be born again. But how many of us have been born again but still find life frustrating? Still, I've seen people who've been born again still struggling with some addictions and different behaviors. Uh, struggling with depression or discouragement. Struggling with sickness of various kinds. Struggling with different things. I want Christ to have effect in my life. And it's not just, it's not based on my performance. And it's not based on uh, the wisdom of words. I, I'm here to preach Christ. I'm here to preach the gospel. And it might make sense. Paul said this way. We started this whole message on, on Romans 1, 16 and 17. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteous God is revealed from faith to faith, for the just shall live by his faith. And so we live by faith. We live by this gospel that's the power of God. It's not me. I'm not the power. You can put a light bulb in me and it won't turn on. I don't have the power. 
But at the same point in time, we do have the power, as Andrew Womack would teach, once we know that it's our power, our job is to flip on the switch. We have the power to turn this on and off in our own mind, in the way we think. And, and when we are trusting God, and we trust His gospel, it's like flipping the switch. He provided the grace, but when we put faith in that grace, it's like turning on the switch. I'm not the source. Edison, who, who uh, the electric, electrical company, that, that power of this house, is not the source. They just, they, they help get, the, they help get the, the power here. But if my, and anytime I want to turn the lights on, I don't call Edison, Ed, can you come turn the lights on? No, you have the power to, to flip the switch. God, Christ, we have Christ. We have his gospel. We've been saved and declared righteous by his grace. Now that we are, let's use that power. Let's use that power so that Christ in us, his righteousness, can be effective. Let, and, and how, how but we, but, and yes, there's this message of let's use this power, but how do we frustrate this power? How does this power become of no effect when we don't believe that it works? When we don't believe what he did, instead we try to do it. We try to do it in our own strength instead of just believing what he's already providing and use it. We frustrate that grace. We fall from grace. We attempt to justify on our own. Um, you know, uh, we, I mean, another way of looking at this, you know, we have electricity through this house and it's wired and this particular, uh, uh, I can't, uh, breaker, this, uh, um, I can't think of the word right now. But the power switch to the switch so that when I get the switch, everything that's plugged in turns on and off. But if I didn't believe that and I didn't trust that, I could be out there like Thomas Edison or uh, Jefferson or whatever with the, the kite and trying to get my own electricity. You know? It won't work. I mean, I'm not saying that wouldn't work. It worked for him. But, but I don't need to do all that. I don't need to fall from the grace in the sense that, that I already have electricity from this. I'm paying the bill. I'm already connected to the source. I don't need to do all that work. Why has it already been done for me? I just have to flip the switch. Christ has already provided everything we need. And we frustrate it when we try to do it ourselves. In other words, we try to create... We created an Ishmael instead of receiving an Isaac. We, uh, and that makes sense. Um, uh, um, I hope we will as we go forward. Okay, let's go back to Romans chapter 3. This is good. I'm going to use this to transition to where I want to go for the next session of our teaching. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And we're going to I'm going to be the new King James. Let me read some context and I'm going to come back and walk through some of this. Therefore, by the deed of law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteous God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteous of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom has 
whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, there's a lot here. And some of this we've already covered to some degree. And I want to, I think I do want to transition to the King James. Yes, okay. So again, verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in the sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay, we just kind of covered this. So I don't think I need to reteach this right now. We are not justified by keeping the law. Okay, that doesn't mean we don't want to. Again, let me just say this again. The law is holy. The law is good. I am not bashing the law. One in one side of the coin, I'm saying Christ has already fulfilled the law. So we don't have to fulfill the law to become righteous. We believe in Jesus. But the law, all the law, hinges on loving God and loving one another. So now that we're holy, now that we're righteous because of what Jesus did, not because of what I do, that doesn't mean I bypass the law. Because if I bypass the law, that means I don't love God anymore, I don't love you anymore. That's not what it's teaching. Because I still, now that I'm holy, I still don't murder. Now that I'm holy, I still don't commit adultery. I still don't bear false witness. I still don't steal. All these things, I still love one more than another. I still love God. But I don't do it to earn righteousness. I do it because I am righteous. That makes that, that make sense. And at the same point in time, the law is a knowledge of sin. The law was given to teach us that we need a Savior. The law did not show mercy. The law did not show grace. We not only committed sin, all of us, which we can get that from verse 23, for all our sin to fall come short of the glory of God. Not only did we all commit a sin, but we were all born into sin through Adam. Our seed, uh, the human race, the flesh and blood was cursed through Adam. Even if we never committed a sin, and we have, but even if we did it, we were still needed a Savior because of what Adam did. That makes sense. We're all guilty. And we all deserved hell. And there was no hope. But the law taught, if you teach the law, the law will teach that the penalty for sin is death. The only way to appease the sin is to, there had to be a death. Jesus died. Jesus became a man. That, so that he, as a man, could die. And our, as, not only did he become our sin, he became our penalty. He took our penalty so that we become righteous. We can't become justified because we keep the law. We can only become righteous because Jesus, our propitiation, died for us. Our substitute. And that propitiation also teaches that Jesus' death satisfied our death penalty. Okay? That makes sense. But the law is a knowledge of sin. The law will always tell you what's wrong with you outside of God, outside of Christ. Because without Christ, we are all guilty. But we're not. But if we're born again, we are not outside of Christ. We're going to get into that. We are in Christ. Okay, that makes sense? But let me just make this point. I've made this before um, many times. But uh, <clears throat> just as the law is a knowledge of sin, 
Romans 1, 16 and 17 that I just quoted, same, same book, we're in chapter 3, but in chapter 1, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The law reveals your sin. So, one way I teach that, or one way I process that in my mind, is the message I'm hearing. Now, there's different kinds of messages. I'm not just talking about a pulpit, but I'm all, but also from a pulpit. From whatever pastor or teacher or, that you're listening to, whether that be a CD, a, a DVD, a live, or whatever, or a book, or it could also be a message that you're hearing in your own mind, from your own thoughts, or in a conversation with another uh, believer or an even non-believer. Maybe your family, maybe your spouse, maybe your parents, maybe your children. Maybe your enemies. We're hearing different kinds of messages. The devil's speaking to us. The Spirit of God's speaking to us. We're speaking to ourselves. People are speaking to us. In many ways, shapes and forms and sizes. But whatever message we're hearing, whatever it is and whoever it's coming from, Peter in one breath got a revelation from the Spirit of God, and the next moment, Satan also, he got a message from Satan. So we too can also hear, hear and also deliver a message from the Spirit of God and also from the devil. None of us is exempt from that. But at the same point in time, uh, whatever message we're hearing, if the message is revealing your sin, it's the law. But the message you're hearing is revealing what's right with you because of Christ. You just heard the gospel. That makes sense? That's how I help distinguish what message I'm hearing. The law is holy, but the law is all, even though it points my sin, it's always going to point me to the fact that I need and we're going to get into this. I'm going to spend a whole section. The next title of our section is the t it's called The Testimony of Scripture. We're going to be talking a lot about this. So I'm going to spend a little more time on this, a lot more time on this from another. Uh, I'm going to spend on this a lot more. But I'm just making a point right here is that the message we're hearing is either going to reveal what's wrong with us because of sin or right with us because of Christ. Wrong with us because of Adam or, wrong with us or right with us because of the, the last Adam. Even when, even when it's pointing out what's wrong with us, the purpose of the law, God's purpose of the law, was to bring us to Christ. Satan's purpose of the law, we're going to see this too, is to condemn us, to judge us in death. But God, God does that so we realize that we can't save ourselves. We need Jesus. That makes sense? But Paul says once, once, the law, once faith has come, once Jesus has come, we don't need the law. In that respect, we don't need it to point us that what's wrong with us. We we still live holy. We still live righteously, but not to become righteous and holy. That makes sense? Because the, the law has been fulfilled in that, in that, way, in that way. But let's go forward. It says, but now. I love this. That's why I wanted to go here, because I have a highlighted and underlined. But now. When's now? Right now. Now's not yesterday. Now's not tomorrow. Even though this applies both yesterday, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it's, it's true now. Right now, this moment, it's true. But now, now, the righteousness of God without the law is not going to be, not should be, but is manifested. Present tense. That makes sense? But now, 
the righteousness of God, not, not self-righteousness, not my own righteousness, but the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, and I've got to spend a whole teaching on this, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That's what I kind of referred to just a moment ago. I can spend a whole time on this, so I'm going to come back to this in just a moment, okay? But this is a little confusing from, from one glance. This righteousness that is manifested now is manifested without the law. At the same point of time, this manifestation of the righteous God without the law is witnessed by the law. And that can be a little confusing. In one, one breath, it sounds like this righteousness that's about to be manifested now is manifested without the law, but at the same point in time, it's witnessed by the law. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment, okay? okay the key word is witness, okay? And the witness is not the judge and the jury. The witness is, the witness is just witnessed. That makes sense? It's not the source of it. It's just witnessing it. And we're going to focus on that in just a moment. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, of Jesus Christ. It's, uh, we are righteous because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That makes sense? Unto all and upon all them that believe. We must believe. It's faith righteousness. It's, we must believe unto righteousness. That makes sense? So upon the gospel, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for he is the power of God unto everyone who believeth. Okay? For there is no difference. Verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And a lot of people stop right here. And there's no period there. There's a semicolon or a comma. Being justified or declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's powerful. I love this whole chapter of the book of Romans. I mean, this is so rich and deep. And I, it's hard for me to share it all in one context and even share within my heart. And to, and I'm, trying to, I'm trying to take this up and take the, the meat of God's word and, and, and cut it up in bite-sized pieces. But it's so rich, even the bites, I feel like I have to sometimes slice those in half too. <coughs> but it's so rich here. We have all sinned. We know that. We get that. I've heard that so many times growing up, and I'm not getting upset with anybody. I've taught this myself for years. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and I put a period there, and I, I, I even put a, a, a comment that that's the gospel. I just finished saying that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Well, we're right with us because of Christ, but the law reveals what's wrong with us because of sin. There is no good news there. The gospel is good news. How beautiful upon the mountains of the feet of him who brings good news and proclaims peace, glad tidings of good things, and proclaims salvation, declares how God reigns. There's no good news in verse 23. It's true. Just because it's true doesn't mean it's good news. It's a fact. It's true. But there's no that, that verse by itself gives me no hope. If, that, if, that, if that's all I ever heard. It's true. And I do need to hear that. Because the law reveals sin. And the law reveals that I need a Savior. Because there's no hope. Because I sin. I fall short by the glory of God. I need redemption. I need something to save me. And it's not me. It's not my performance. It's not the deeds of the law. Because by the deeds of the law, I can't be justified. There's no hope in me. But we need to wake up. We need to come to the revelation that all have sinned. There's 
No one, none, none of us want to be the best sinner in hell. We're all guilty. And what are we, our whole life is full of so many sins we can't even count them all. And what are we just committed one little itty bitty sin? Not that there's any bit sin, sin. But I'm, I'm just trying to make a point. Either, you know, it, I, like, I think Andrew said it this way. It's like glass. It's like a window. Whether you shoot a BB gun through it or you get a hammer and smash it, it's broken. The whole thing's broken. And, and so, you know, we've all sinned and we can all come short of the glory of God. True. But that's not the end of the sentence. He said, being justified. Again, that word justified is the same Greek word for righteousness. Being justified or declared righteous freely. It's free. You didn't do anything. It costs him everything. It costs us nothing. We just have to believe it. We just have to trust in it. Being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then there's a calling. So he's going to expand on this redemption that's in Christ Jesus. What's that redemption in Christ? Whom God set forth to be a propitiation. We spent a whole week or two on this word propitiation. Through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, there's that word now again, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him who believeth in Jesus. There's a lot here. Is any of this making sense? Jesus has justified us. He has become our propitiation. And I've spent a lot of time in the weeks past on this latter part. But where I want to start transitioning into is just get back to this verse, verse 21. That this righteousness is supposed to be manifested now. And it's not manifested by the law. But even though it's not manifested by the law, we're going to see that all scripture and the law of the prophets give witness to what we're supposed to be experiencing now. From Genesis to Malachi. Because that's the law of the prophets. From Genesis to Malachi. Yes, it's in the New Testament, but I'm going to specify that a little bit more in just a minute. But the law of the prophets give testimony. The Old Testament give testimony, give a witness to what you and I are supposed to be experiencing now because of Jesus. That makes sense? When you get a revelation of Christ in the New Testament, you can see the, 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 the witness of that revelation in the Old Testament. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that a man of God, a woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Am I making sense? When I saw this a few years ago, several years, a few years ago, 2009, I began to see that all scripture is teaching one message. The first session that we taught on the session, I was talking about there's one message. And I've seen that here. And this was just, this, this revelation was so profound for me. Yes, I need to be, I need to understand righteousness. But when I be, also began to understand that all scripture is teaching the same message. There are, there are, yes, there are other messages we can hear, but the foundational message 
Righteousness and truth, or righteousness and, 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 and justice, are the foundation of his throne. It's the foundational, it's the elementary teachings. It's, it's, a, it's the first principles. And we need to be grounded on the first. I can teach any other subject. Marriage, for example, parenting, uh, finances, healing. And there's so many topics, I'm not even getting closely hitting them all. But, but if we don't get the foundation right... How are we going to build those messages? How are we going to build our marriages? How are we going to build our finances? How are we going to do these things if we don't get the foundation right? That make sense? How we do finances today may be a little different than they were in Jesus' day because we're in a different generation. But the principles are still the same. The foundation is still the same. That make sense? Uh, um, they didn't have computers and different things. They didn't have some of the stocks and things we had then. But they had their own economy. But we're not part of the world's economy. We're part of his economy. Because of what Jesus did. Does that make sense? I'm just using that as one illustration. When we understand righteousness, you'll understand healing a lot better. You'll understand finances a lot better. you understand everything else. It's the foundation. It's, it's, it's the core. And so, and we're going to transition. I know there's a lot of things here. I've I share some already. There's something that I wish I could spend more time. Remember, when I, we first started this church over a little over five years ago, I spent a whole, almost a whole year on this passage, a scripture. It's just so rich. And uh, in some ways, I felt like, Dave, are you going to ever teach anything else? But then at that same point in time, there are other things I want to teach and at the time, but it was so rich. And I, I, it's just like, you, you know, I'm just going to have one potato chip. Why couldn't I just have one? Because it just was so rich. I wanted more. Uh, anyway, hopefully I'm making sense with some of this. Okay. <clears throat> with that being said, we're going to transition now to uh, part five of this teaching series on uh, righteousness, which this next uh, uh, subtitle of this next section on the testimony of Scripture. And it goes back with this verse right here. This is where I start. But now the righteous God without the law is manifested, but being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And I want to talk about a lot more about this witness of the law and the prophets. Again, you know, a witness, a witness is not the judge, it's not the jury. A witness only testifies what they saw happen or what happened to them. Does that make sense? They can't make a judgment. They can only share what they saw, what they have witnessed, if that makes sense. And the law and the prophets give wisdom. Uh, and, uh, I think, uh, in other words, they also, the witness will give a testimony of what has happened. And that testimony is very important. And so that, uh, so we're, the, the, I believe all scriptures testify, give witness to uh, uh, this righteousness of God that is supposed to be manifested now in our lives and through our lives but without the law. Why? Because Christ has already fulfilled the law. Okay? To the cross. Yeah, go with me real quick to Hebrews chapter 1. We spent some time here a few weeks ago. I, spent a, I, I said a lot of things along the way. And what I'm trying to start doing now is, and I've been doing it for the last couple weeks, 
and I'm starting to connect all the dots that I've been sharing. I shared this, I said we'll come back to this. I shared this, I said we'll come back to this. Now I'm trying to connect all those things together. Okay, because all scripture is possible for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and righteousness. This is one of them. Let me go, let me talk to the New King James. A little easier reading. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. Prophets, anytime you hear the word law of prophets, you think Old Testament, okay? I'm not saying there's not prophecy today. I'm not taking away from that. But that's not what Scripture is necessarily talking about in a lot of these contexts. It's talking about the law. God has spoken to us through our fathers. He's talking about to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking to the Hebrews. He's talking to the Jews. And their fathers, uh, naturally speaking, was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their forefathers, and, 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 and so on, David, others. And so, uh, but it starts with Abraham. God has, through various times and various ways, spoke ten times past to their fathers by the prophets. I mean, uh, there's so many prophets, and uh, we have a lot of prophetic books. David is also considered a prophet. Uh, there's others. Uh, there's a matter of scripture that says even Abraham was a prophet. Uh, and so the, so the, anyway, so the law of the prophets, a lot of, and we're going to come back to that. I'll spend more time on that. So, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. God throughout history, throughout the ages, has spoken in many different ways to the, to the fathers by the prophets. But now, in these last days, God has spoken to us, all of us, the whole world. God, but especially in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. That makes sense. He's spoken to various times and various ways. Now God's speaking to one person, and that's Jesus. That makes sense. He might use the Holy Spirit. He might use people. He might use Scripture. He might use nature. But He's also He's, used, he's speaking to one person, whom the Son, whom He has appointed, heir of all things. Through whom also he made the world. He's our creator. He created everything. Who, talk about Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus is the express image of God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. That makes sense. My pointing was wrong, but I think you got my, my, my point. So he's describing who Jesus was. And this Jesus, our creator, the express image of God, is upholding all things by the, by the word of his power. What word? What word? It's his word that he's spoken to us by his son. He's speaking to us, he's speaking to us a word. And he's upholding all things by the power of his word. And again, what word? When he had by himself purged our sins, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty of high. This word that God is upholding all things is the fact that he, is when, when he purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of God. The gospel is the word, is the message by which God upholds all things. And I'm making sense a little bit. I know that it might be a little deep, but there's, and tonight it's hard for me to get my, my natural mind around some of this stuff. But 
There's a very specific word that God is upholding all things. And it's this word, where he had by himself purged our sins. If the gospel wasn't true, everything would fall apart. If God's word was not true, all of the promises of God are yes and amen to the glory of God and the Father by us. All scripture, I mean, it's all, everything is hinged together. Every, every atom, everything, I mean, I, the, everything, the chair or couch or you're sitting on, whatever you might be to divide, everything, all these atoms, I mean, I know some of these things are man-made, but the, the man-made things are made by everything God created. And all the atoms, everything, it's held together by the power of God's word. This universe, nature, the oxygen that's in the air, everything is held together by the power. The atoms in your body, every molecule, everything is held together by the power of his word when he himself purged our sins. That's huge. That's just huge. My whole life, everything, naturally speaking, physically speaking, uh, emotionally speaking, everything is held together by the cross of Jesus Christ. That makes sense. Um, okay. Um, go with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. spent some time here you know, trying to tie this in together with what we just already talked about this morning about uh, the law is holy and good and whatnot. And good, we're going to talk a lot, a lot of law talk right now that, and that we've already been talking about this morning but let me read this context again uh, I mean, at least uh, these three verses uh, 2 Corinthians 3 14 through 16 but their minds were blinded <coughs> For until the, this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. Even in this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, uh, I made, made a comment here a minute ago, and I, as we go forward, I don't know how far we're going to get today. But uh, anytime you hear, you know, especially the New Testament, You'll hear the word scripture. You'll hear the word law and prophets. Jesus will make a comment. We'll get to it a little bit later. The law, the, the, the prophet, and the Psalms. Um, here over here, Moses is read. Okay? In verse 15, I think it was. Um, yeah, even here, he specifically uses Old Testament. Um, but even the word scripture. When Paul, you'll hear Jesus talk about scripture, you'll hear Paul talk about scripture, sometimes you'll hear some of the other uh, apostles use scripture. Now, we all agree that the New Testament is also scripture. Okay, I'm not taking away from that. But when they, when they penned these words, when they wrote these words down, the New Testament didn't exist yet. So they're not referring to the New Testament yet, specifically, because it didn't exist yet. Now, we agree with that. When I say all scripture, I believe it includes the New Testament. Hopefully, I'm making, point, making sense. But specifically, when they're talking about scripture, the law and the prophets, and right here, he's very clear, Old Testament and Moses. Okay. 
He's talking about the law and prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament. Because that's all they had. When Jesus and Paul quoted scripture, they didn't quote from the New Testament. They didn't exist. They couldn't quote from something that didn't happen. They were pending the words. They, they, were, they were writing the New Testament. They were validating it. Uh, they were writing it. But the scripture, when he uses scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament. In other words, Jesus and Paul use, and others use the Old Testament to preach the gospel. They use the Old Testament to preach the New Testament. That makes sense. Jesus was the New Testament. The, the testament didn't the, the testament didn't start. The covenant didn't start in Matthew one one. It started at the cross. You can't have a covenant without the cross. You can't have a covenant without the shedding of blood. Uh, I don't have time to teach all that right now. But it just uh, it just it, the the cross ushered us into the New Testament. Uh, Jesus' ministry was still Old Testament chronologically. I'm using the, hope I'm using the wrong right word. I don't want to get all confused by all that. That's not my point. But my point is I do want to bring a little clarification as we go forward that anytime we hear the word scripture, Old Testament, Moses, specifically, just he's using that to talk about the Old Testament. But I love that because they, the Old Testament gives witness to this righteousness we're supposed, that's supposed to be manifested now. That making sense? Hopefully that. But here, it says, their minds were blank. For until this day, the same bell remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. If we don't understand what we're reading, we, and all we know is the Old Testament, if all we have is an Old Testament lens, an Old Testament mentality, because we're talking about my mentality, when we read Scripture, there will be a bell that lies over our hearts. If I were to read more of the context, Paul had just said that the glory of the Old Testament or the law had glory. It had glory. But the glory of the ministry of righteousness and the glory of the ministry of the Spirit exceeds much more glory. He had just, he had just finished saying that. Right, I want to go back here real quick. When you get what was made glorious, he's talking about the law. Because he just finished talking about the ministry of condemnation and death, which is the law. But he says the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of spirit exceeds much more and glory, and glory. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. I'm trying to speed this up a little bit. Okay? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great moments of speech. Anyway, we're going forward. Unlike Moses, who put a bell over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steady at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded for until this day, talking about this day, till the day, the same bell remains and lifted in the Reno Testament. If all we have is a law mentality, if all we have is an Old Testament mentality, there's going to be a bell that lies over our mind. It will blind us. And there's only one way to remove this bell. You don't remove this bell by debating with people. Some people try to debate, and you don't do it. Actually, when you debate with people, you just make it more confusing. And uh, you can lose people that way. But the, you remove the bell by preaching Christ. There's only one way to remove this blindness. That's why I spent a whole two weeks on this subtle beguilement. This, this subtle beguilement. It, it, you're beguiled. You're deceived. It's blind. When you're deceived, you're blinded. You're blinded from something. And there's only one way to remove this blinder. And that is to preach Christ. See, I didn't know I had so much religion in me until I heard the gospel the way I've heard it. I, didn't, I had a lot of religion in me. I, I wasn't believing something. I wasn't, not everything I believed was wrong, but there was a lot of religion. But I didn't even know I was deceived in some areas until the light turned on. 
until I heard the gospel. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a bell lies on their hearts. When the law is read, a lot of people understand that they don't see the testimony of Scripture that I'm going to get into. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, this bell is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, and a lot of people quote this verse, I love this verse, it's powerful, I love it, I love it, I love it. But a lot of times they take this out of context and make, make our own message. Yes, with the Spirit of the Lord there is liberty. In and of itself, that's true. But it's even more powerful when you put it in context of what he's actually saying. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror, you would see our, our faces are unveiled because Christ has been preached. They're not blinded anymore. But now that they're not blinded anymore, what are they beholding? What are they seeing in the mind? They're seeing in the mirror, the mirror of God's word, the glory of God. When I'm looking into the mirror of God's word, I'm not seeing my glory. I'm seeing his glory. And the mirror is reflected the vice. So when I look at the mirror, I'm not seeing him. I'm not seeing me, the flesh. No, Christ crucified the flesh. I am crucified with Christ. I'm now seeing his glory in the mirror. I'm, when I look at the mirror, I'm not seeing me, but I'm seeing I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I, there was an exception. There was a veil. I couldn't see his glory. But now that I see his glory, I'm going to be transformed into the same image, into the same glory I'm now seeing, into the same Jesus I've seen. As he is, so am I in this world. I will be like him as I see him as he is, 1 John 3, 3, 2. And I will be transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? He just called it the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit. In chapter 5, he'll call it the ministry of reconciliation. But we're in chapter 4. And as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. And I love this, I love this verse because three times in this verse you'll see the word we. It's plural. It's not just, I can't make this selfish. It's about all of us. We have this ministry. We have received mercy. We do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe that the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The gospel is not an it, it's a who. I feel like I'm talking like Dr. Seuss. It's a who. It's a who. But the enemy wants to veil our hearts from the gospel. The gospel removes the veil. Christ removes, and this gospel is Christ. This gospel is Christ. And when we preach Christ, the gospel of Christ is a who. This veil is removed. Am I making sense? But the God of this age. It's letter G. It's not talking about God. It's talking about devil. The God of this age has blinded those who do not believe this gospel. If we don't believe the gospel, we can be born again but still not be believing it. The same way we receive Christ, the same way we walk in him. We receive Christ, but we're not, we're not believing in our heart that he's healed, our, he, he's healed us that by a strike of him. We're not believing in his heart that he's our provider. We, have, we are more interested in healing than a, more than we are interested in a relationship with the healer. 
We're more interested in provision than a relationship with a provider. Praise God for provision. Praise God for healing. But we need our Savior. We need Jesus. And as we have a relationship with Jesus, and we're going to see that the scriptures, they testify of him. They testify of God. They testify of Christ. And when we have a relationship with Christ, when we're beholding his glory, not our glory, we're not beholding what we've done wrong, we're beholding his glory, we are transformed to his image, and there's a blinder that is removed because the enemy is trying to blind our minds from those who do not believe. If I'm not believing the gospel, my heart is blinded. <coughs> I'm not making sense. I feel like I'm saying a lot of different things. And my, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm trying to teach us to be established in righteousness so we can behold his glory, what he's done for us, so there won't be a veil. And not just so we won't be blinded, but so because if we're blinded, we're perishing. And there's a lot of people perishing. When I think of perishing, I'm not just talking about going to hell. And that's the worst kind of perishing at all. There's a lot of people who are not going to heaven because they don't know what Christ has done for them. But there's also a lot of people perishing with all kinds of sicknesses of various kinds. They're perishing with all kinds of turmoil and confusion and wickedness and addictions. But they can be set free and they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. They will be his disciples indeed and they should know the truth and the truth will set them free. But they need to be the disciples. They need to be established. They need to be taught. That's why we do everything we do here. We're not the... We're not necessarily the sharpest knife in the door, our grandma, but we're doing, trying to do faith what God has called us to do, and that's discipleship. That's why we call ourselves Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We want to be a beacon to our world, to our region, and disciple them so that they can fulfill their destiny, fulfill their purpose, whatever that might be. We offer Bible classes and Bible studies and, and church services. We want to do so much more. We want to do children's ministries. We want to do other things. We don't have the people to do that. And this is not a complaint. This is just sharing my heart. Uh, is that I'm, I want people to be taught the word of God so their minds will be blinded so they don't perish so they can be grounded and established in the word of righteousness and the word of truth. That makes sense. Whether they come to this church or not this church or whatnot, whether they're tied or not tied, there's a, there's a time and a place to teach all that. But that's not that, that, that's secondary. The first, my first heart is that people know who they are in Christ. It's not about building Lighthouse Discipleship Center. It's about building people. And uh, I hope that we can do it collectively, but even if we do it one-on-one, -on -one, so be it. Am I making sense? I'm just sharing my heart. I'm not trying to advertise or manipulate anything. I'm just sharing my heart. Is that I want people to be so established in who they are in Christ. So that they can experience, verse 17, don't get dizzy on me, so that where the Spirit of the Lord is, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit, and the ministry of reconciliation, they can experience freedom. And there's a lot of people, both unbelievers and non-believers alike, not experiencing the full freedom that they have in Christ. And I want people to be set free in their relationships, in their finances, in their health, and in their morality. And uh, godliness and uh, addictions. There's a lot of people who want to be set free. Some people want to have them set free from their depressions and and and, and, and other things and anger management, different things. Um, I'm making make sense this morning. I, I get fired up about this because this is my passion. This is my heartbeat. I'm running out of time, so we're not going to finish uh, this thought completely. Let me just say this. I'm about to say this earlier. 
I, you hear me say a lot about religion. See? To me, I, I don't believe that what we do here is religious. To me, religion is got man's way of trying to appease God and be right with God and do right. I'm talking about not religion, but I'm talking about a relationship with God. I want God and Christ in me to change me from the inside out and live in me to minister to people, to set people free, to demonstrate His power and His awesomeness. I don't want to do it religiously. I don't want to manifest I don't want to create an Ishmael. I want to, I want to be an Isaac. I don't want to be a, a, a son of the bondwoman. I want to be a son of the free woman. I want to see lives transform and change. Not because they did it themselves, but because Christ in them transformed their lives from the inside out. I, want to, I don't want a religious experience. I want a relationship with God as real. And what's we, what is eternal life? Eternal life, according to John 17, 3, is having a relationship with God. Having a relationship with Jesus. That's eternal life. But at the same point in time, I also, even though I, I bash religion a lot, because I'm not about religion. We teach against religion here. But I also know this about religion. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about all religions. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christian religion. Christianity religion. Christianity that I've come across as religious. Okay, that makes sense? And Arthur Menchez, he always says, I hate religion, and the religion I hate the most is Christian religion. We're not talking about Christian religion. We're talking about a relationship with God. Uh, but even Christian religion, I believe at its core, I'm not, I can't say this with everybody, in every church, in every circle. I don't know every church, in every circle. But the ones that, some of the ones I've experienced. And some, and some of the religion... I used to be a part of it, my own mind. I'm not talking about, and when I talk about my own life and my own experiences, I'm not talking about a specific church or a specific pastor. I'm talking about my way of thinking. That makes sense? That's just my story. Everyone has their own story, but my story, I'm not here bashing anyone in particular. I just know the way I was thinking and the way I, I began to try to minister to people. But I know that a lot of you, and I always say this, I say this a lot, it's probably because of my own story. I knew that at times, I, even when I was in ministry, I was religious. I knew, but even though I was religious, I knew that I really wanted to see lives change. I really wanted to see lives born again. I really wanted to see lives transformed. I was just going about it the wrong way. My heart was pure in the sense I really wanted it to be, uh, I want to see lives change. But I just was, I kept trying to get man to change and myself to change from the outside in. Instead of the inside out. It was religious, not a relationship. I emphasized performance and not a relationship. And that was wrong. It, not, it won't work. It will make it worse. But uh, religion, motive in many ways, and I, I, can't, I don't know about everyone with this, but a lot of people I've experienced in my own, religion's motive is to do good. In other words, religious motive many times is to make you holy and righteous, but on your own performance. By your own means. But the gospel reveals his righteousness. His gift of righteousness. Not our performance. We live right because we believe right. We live right because we're, we are right. Is that making sense? And, and it made sense for me. It was revolutionary for me. 
And there's only one way to remove this veil, this religious mindset that blinds people, that deceives people. See, religion, I believe, is a, a deception. A religion, I believe, is a deception that I need to do right to become right. That's deceiving. It won't work. The only way you can become right is because of Jesus. And the only way you can live right is because Jesus is living in you. You can't do it by doing it. Yes, we have to participate. Yes, we have to cooperate. Yes, we have to obey and hearken to his voice. But it's from the inside. It's Christ in me that changes me, not me that changes him without Christ. But there's only one way to remove this deception, this vow, and that is to preach Christ, to preach the gospel, to preach the truth. Okay? Moving um, forward. Covering the lighters already. How much time we got? Guess you can wrap it up. Okay, let me end on this note. Go to John 5.39. We'll pick it up here next week. And then we'll, we'll wrap up the section next week. John 5. I went on a leave on a more inspiring note here. I referred to this in my teaching this morning. I want to get to the source of this. Again, I'm talking about in this section of our, as I transitioned this morning, we're talking about the testimony of Scripture. We, we barely got into it. But I'm talking about the testimony of Scripture. Remember, remember we just talked about it a moment ago in Romans chapter uh, 3, verse 21. But now the righteous God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This testimony, this witness of the law and prophets. Well, and I can also mention how the law and the prophets, the scripture, speaks of the Old Testament. Well, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders here in John chapter 5, and he says, you, he's telling the religious leaders, you search the scriptures, and he's talking about the Old Testament, because the New Testament hasn't been written yet, for in them, you think you have eternal life. In other words, you think you have eternal life because you keep the scriptures. Because you obey the scriptures. But you, you think you are justified by keeping the law. If you study this out. But he says, these, the scriptures, are they which testify of me. The scriptures are not given to us for us to do it without Christ. We need to be born again first. We need to know who we are. So that he in us can live his life and through us. But the scriptures, they give testimony. They give witness to Jesus. <coughs> Is that making sense? We, in other words, as we study the scriptures, they should point to Jesus, not to us. Yes, there's some things that we need to do. Yes, we need to work out our own salvation, not work for our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yes, there's some things that we need to cooperate. Yes, there's some things we shouldn't do and need to do. And all yes, all the law and the prophets hinge on loving God and loving one another as ourselves. But we do this, but even in that they testify of him. We love, we cannot love God, and we can't love one another until we first know that he loves us. 
we love because he first loved us. The scriptures testify of him. Yes, we are to obey the law, which hands on loving one, God and loving one another. But we can't do that until we first see, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Until we, Christ is revealed to us, and when we see him as he is, we'll be like him because we see him as he is. We love one another because we are abiding in him, and he is abiding in us. We, st we spend a lot of time studying First John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, and we'll spend a little more time next week on some of this. But we love one another, and we do all those things because we know his love for us. The scriptures will testify how much your father loves you. I mean, when you know how much your father loves you, and, how, and this is love, not that you love him, but this is love that he loved you and became your propitiation. That's righteousness. And so scripture will give testimony of him, his love. And yet, in doing that, as he abides in you and you abide in him, yet he in you will love one another and love him as we should. That make sense? But they give testimony of his love. Because we don't have eternal life because of what we do. We have eternal life because we have a relationship with him. That makes sense? And yes, we're, uh, again, it's not, we all agree that we need to live holy. We all agree that we, there are something things that we need to do. But the key is, how do we do that? We need to have Jesus. And all scriptures are not telling us what to do. All scripture is testifying of Jesus so that we can see Jesus. So we can have a relationship with Jesus. We can be in right relationship with Jesus and God through Jesus so that he, and he upholds all things by the power of words because of what Jesus did on the cross. God has not spoken many times through Scott's scripture. God spoke to the fathers and the prophets by many ways, but now God is speaking through Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. We need Jesus. And when, only when we, we when, only when we read Christ and teach Christ, will this veil of the Old Testament be removed from our eyes, from our minds, so that we can see Jesus, and that we're right with Jesus. And when we are established in that, we're going to see our lives change and being fruitful. And this testimony, we're going to see the manifestation of His righteousness now in our lives. And hopefully tie us together in the ways that we can understand it. Am I making sense? I teach a lot of different things, but I'm trying to get, bring all of this. This is probably one of my favorite chapters because it brings a lot of these thoughts and some chapters in my notes anyway. Uh, it brings it all together where it all brings it down to one person. It makes it very simple. There's a lot of different things we can talk about, but it makes it simple. It's all about knowing Jesus and His Word. And if it doesn't testify of Jesus, then what are we listening to? What are we trusting in? What are we abiding in? Even the law points that we need Jesus. We need a Savior. The, the, the New Testament points out what Jesus has done. It all points to Jesus. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. I know there's so many things I'm teaching, trying to teach, but right now I'm trying to magnify Jesus. I'm not trying to magnify the problem. I'm not trying to magnify what's wrong. I'm not trying to magnify what other people have done and said and whatnot. I'm trying to magnify Jesus in my life and everyone else's life. Says, 
Lord, you want to hear me. We worship you. We magnify you. We thank you. Help us understand these scriptures and understand the, the testimony of Jesus. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight if you can. If not, we'll see you next week or sometime during the week. All right. God bless you.